Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. This message is from our Renovate series, where we take a look at relationships through a biblical perspective and was recorded at our Menifee campus. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, if any of you need a Bible, um, just put your hand up. We've got some Bibles, and we'll get you one. It'd be important to have one. So, and no condemnation. It won't be like, hey, you came to church without a Bible. Stand up. No. Just put your hand up. We've got plenty of them. Uh, anybody up here that I could, like, throw it at you? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come right up here. There we go. There's one and then one over here. Um, thanks, thank you guys for coming. We want to say happy Mother's Day to all you moms. And uh, we're, uh, we got some things for you afterwards, some nifty gifts for you afterwards. So um, David will talk about that when we're done. We're in a relationship series right now that we call Renovate. And the reason why we're calling it Renovate is because our God's a God of redemption. He's a God of renovation. And he's wanting to... Um, change all of our relationships. And he wants to start with us and then work through and renovate our relationships. He wants to redeem them. And so we're going to be talking specifically about marriage. But let's pray first. Father, we come before you and we just want to give an intense thanks from our heart for the grace that you've given us in our lives through our mothers. And we thank you for all the mothers that are here. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless them in a special way, that you give them a special measure of rest today. And enjoyment, Lord, that they would, um, like it says in Proverbs 31, that they would receive the fruit of their hands, that, that today would be a day when their, their husband, their kids, and whoever is in their life would bless them, Lord. We thank you for them. And we thank you, Lord, how they reflect in a special way your care for us. I think of in Isaiah when it says, um, can a woman forget her nursing child? Neither can I forget you. And Lord, how you use mothers is an example of your never-ending love for us. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for what mothers point to in you. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would have compassion on us this morning, that you would give us your grace, that we would understand your word, that we would love your word, and we'd be inspired to do it by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this Renovate series. We're going to talk about work in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about uh, parenting. That's what we have left. Uh, we're just a couple weeks till we're done. But uh, today we're going to talk specifically about marriage. And um, I mentioned last week, even if you're unmarried, we really need you guys to internalize what's here because you're always giving advice to people at work, friends, coworkers, family members, whether you say something or not. 
Sometimes we give our advice by just silently consenting to what they're saying about their marriages. And so it's such a blessing, guys, to understand the truth of God's word and be able to give that to those in your life. And uh, we're going to be here in Ephesians. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 5, as um, Don read. And it was written in the first century, about 62 AD. And one of the things you might think right off the bat is like, why would we pick this letter from the first century as a way to pattern our 21st century marriages? You might think to yourself, doesn't this letter just kind of reflect kind of an ancient backward way of thinking about relationships? Isn't it just a product of its age? Well, I'll tell you guys, the the New Testament teaching on marriage, both from the apostles and from Jesus, was completely countercultural. Okay, no one at the time was affirming the dignity and value of women like Jesus and the New Testament writers. Um, consider these words from Demosthenes. He was a uh, couple hundred years before this, but he was an orator, so he was paid to say things well and eloquently. And this is what he said about women in the time. And you can just imagine this maybe being on a Mother's Day greeting card in, in ancient Greece. But this is what he said about women and about mothers. He said this. He said, prostitutes we have for our pleasure, concubines for our daily refreshment, but wives give us legitimate children and are the faithful guardians of our homes. You can imagine, you know, an Athenian man going through at Hallmark, looking through, this one's perfect, and she's upset, and it's like, hey, I said you faithfully were a guardian of my home, what more do you want, you know? This is the kind of thinking that was going on during that time. So when we read a passage about wives submitting their husbands and things like that, and your first reaction is like, oh, that's just old school. No, that was old school, okay? That was the way people were thinking during that time. And so Paul's writings here are not a product of the culture. In fact, in Paul's writings in Galatians, you hear this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You're all one in Christ. I mean, statements about the absolute equality of human beings, racially, um, station in life, uh, men and women, absolute equality. And this is way before Western culture was thinking that way. In fact, Western culture thinks that way because of the Bible. And so these New Testament teachings on marriage are not a product of first century thinking. In fact, Paul shows very clearly in this passage that they're rooted in creation. He actually quotes Genesis, and they're rooted in redemption. Because marriage, guys, is a living picture of Christ in the church. It's a living picture of the relationship between Christ and his people. And, um, and so uh, God, and it isn't like God went, you know, he decided to make marriage and then later he decided to send Jesus and then he thought, you know what that marriage thing I created? That's a really good illustration of the relationship between Jesus and the church. It wasn't that way at all. He thought first about sending Jesus and to redeem us, and then he created marriage ahead of time as a picture of the relationship between God and his people so that when Jesus came, we would understand him. Guys, marriage is actually a piece of performance art, okay? Marriage is a living play about the relationship between Jesus and his people, The husband plays the part of Jesus. The wife plays the part of the church. And this is why God cares so much about marriage. You wonder why is he so into marriage and why does he care so much about sexuality and things like that? He fiercely guards this because this is a living illustration about him and his people. And so what we read here isn't some antiquated cultural view on marriage. This is God's design to display the gospel to the world. That's what marriage is about. And you're like, wow, I just kind of like the girl. And, you know, we, one thing led to another and we were married. I didn't know it was such a big deal. It is a big deal. And that, the good news about that is that God wants to help you in your marriage because not just for your own personal benefit, he wants to help you because he wants Christ to be displayed better in your marriage. 
And so you have this huge measure of grace that you can rely on. And let's keep in mind, too, guys, as we read this, these are the designer's directions. These are kind of like, here's how to operate marriage. And um, marriage in our culture has somewhere around a 40% failure rate, okay? And you'd think at some point we'd go like, where were those directions again? Like, maybe we should look through them. I mean, just imagine, imagine the airlines had a 40% failure rate, okay? And you did something like a wedding as they're boarding. All right, have a good time. And you're throwing rice on them and everything. They're loading up the plane and it's, you know, 40% of the time. Eventually we go like, oh, I think the maker of that plane had some stuff we could read on it. You know, so that's what we want to do here. These are the designer's directions. So this morning we're going to look at directions of wives, directions of husbands, and then we're going to see how the whole thing's empowered. So we're going to do this morning. So, um, directions to wives. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I totally know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking like, seriously, Eric? On Mother's Day? Like, this is the text you chose. Like, did you just realize this morning that it's Mother's Day? How many of you guys, no, I don't want to. Some of you guys realized this morning that it's Mother's Day. Um, I know it's Mother's Day, and I actually think, I'm like crazy enough to think, like, you're going to like this when I'm done. Like, I'm coming into it that way. You're going to love it. Okay? And it's totally understandable, guys, that our culture would have that reaction initially. You know, you might be thinking, like, this sounds demeaning. This sounds controlling. And I get it, guys. I have 21st century feelers, too. Okay, like don't realize, like he's a caveman. No, I I listen all day. I'm listening to NPR. I'm listening to liberal podcasts, public radio, and stuff between my appointments. It's what I do. That's what I enjoy. So I have 21st century feelers too. When I read this, I see the same things you do. You know, you might be thinking like somehow this is demeaning or controlling. I want to show you guys from this passage that seeing this passage or seeing submission as demeaning or controlling really just comes from a very superficial reading of this. Okay, it's a superficial reading of this. There is something deeper and more beautiful and extremely helpful here, guys. And I don't want us to miss it because we have some sort of 21st century cultural biases. You know, we have some sort of prejudices against these things. And so I want to show you first, submission is not demeaning. Guys, the Bible clearly teaches from the beginning, from Genesis, which is way older than Ephesians, it taught from the beginning that men and women were created equally, right? Both to image forth God's glory, both to image forth who he is. And in different ways. Have you ever thought about this? Like women actually image forth God and who he is in a way different than men do. Can you guys think of any passages that compare God's care and stuff like that to women or mothers? Which one? Yeah, okay, so Jesus, as he's going into Jerusalem, right, he weeps over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you as chicks under my wings, but you weren't willing. What's he doing? He's he's using imagery of a mother hen, right? Or we could think of in Isaiah, the one that I talked about when I was praying, which is God says, how could I forget you? Could a woman ever forget their nursing child? So I can never forget you. So God compares himself to a nursing mother. Okay, in, in Thessalonians, uh, Paul says, we were gentle among you. We were like nursing mothers to you, you know, kind of awkward, right? But he's, he's saying like, we just had you and we, you know, loved you and we were burping, you know, we were taking care of you. And so women reflect God's glory in a special way. In fact, if it was all men, we wouldn't do as good a job as humanity reflecting God. And so the Bible teaches, guys, that marriage was created also to reflect the Trinity in a special way. And this is a little bit maybe heavy, but the Trinity is one God, three persons, right? Living in equality, diversity, and unity. And marriage is meant to reflect that. 
Because a lot of times we think, well, if, if one person is submitting to the other, then somehow they're not you know, as valued or they're not as worthy or something like that. But that happens in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are equally God, one God, and yet they have a diversity of roles. The Son submits to the Father. You guys know the Father doesn't submit to the Son. The Son submits to the Father. The Spirit follows the lead of the Father and the Son, and yet there's absolute equality. And there's a unity there, guys, that's beautiful. It's actually a more beautiful unity. It's not, um, there's two ways to have unity, at least. One would be unison, and one would be harmony. You know the difference? So unison would be like the band came up here, and somehow they found guitars that sound exactly the same. And then we found people that could play the guitars exactly the same. Okay, so it sounds like one guitar. And then the singers, we found singers, we cloned them or whatever, and they can sing exactly the same way. Would you guys like that? No, but that's what our world wants out of relationships. They want unison in relationships. They want not just the equality of worth, but equality of roles. What we have in the Trinity is something more beautiful. It's called harmony, right? Different parts to play. There's full equality, diversity of roles and harmony. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. Harmony, not unison. And that harmony is worked out in a beautiful way in the Trinity as, as God saved us, right? Because in eternity past, the Father decided to save us. So salvation was his idea, not the Son's. And then the son submits to the father's plan, comes and dies. And then the spirit glorifies Jesus, not himself. You see how they're all working. You know, the father plans, the son accomplishes on the cross. The spirit drew you to himself. They've got you surrounded. Isn't that fun? I mean, it's just so cool that the Trinity has you surrounded. Father's idea, Jesus accomplishes. The spirit changes your mind so that you want Jesus. And a good marriage relationship's like that. It's two equals with different roles. This pastor talks about it's like a head and a body. Submission's also not controlling. Now, guys, there are foolish controlling men, okay? And there are foolish women who want to be controlled. This verse is not about controlling. Actually, this word submission, I can see how it would sound controlling, doesn't it? I mean, think of wrestling, like, and you submit that woman, you know, like, or something like that. Notice, guys, that the command is not to the husbands. It's not husbands go submit your wives, okay? That would be controlling. It is wives submit to your husbands. That's significant. And that word there, hypotasso, is a word that means to willingly rank yourself under someone's leadership. It means to voluntarily affirm your husband's leadership in the family and be willing to follow him. And, guys, it doesn't mean that you always agree with him. It doesn't mean that you're always silent about your disagreement with them. Um, I'll tell you, Tasha is, is my most trusted advisor. And when she says, hey, I don't think this is a good idea, I take notice <laughs> every time. We as husbands need to take our wives' advice seriously. They're our most trusted advisors. In this passage, it talks about how you're to love your wife like Christ loves the church. But guess what? You're not Jesus. And so you need your wife's wisdom. You need her understanding. I mean, so often I'll run things by Tasha. I'll say, you know, what do you think of this? And she'll be like, and I'll be like, that's enough. I'm like, that's a bad idea. It doesn't take much. And I'll tell you, she's my helper too. I mean, I sometimes deal with depression. I have times when I'm not even thinking clearly. And she's the person I'll go to to say, what's reality? What's the real thing here? I'm feeling this way. Is that true? Like, she is my most trusted advisor. Um, it, submitting to your husband means that you are eager you have an eager willingness to follow his leadership, to be his greatest cheerleader, to be his best friend, to be his most trusted advisor. Wives, you should want to see your husband succeed as leaders in your family. Encourage him to take the lead. You know what this is really about, guys? Um, I was thinking about last week, and I was thinking about, you know, Adam was called to cultivate the garden, right? And Eve was really called to cultivate Adam, right? And what this is really about is that God, ladies, God has given you a husband to cultivate, 
And then what he's saying here is, do you want to know what will make him grow? He's like, I'll tell you what will make him grow. What will make him grow is if you gave him respect and responsibility. Respect and responsibility make him grow. And sadly, in our culture, no one really wants men to have that. (laughs) You know, you look at the media, especially older sitcoms, and you see constantly the husbands and the fathers are made out to be foolish and selfish, and they're kind of the butt of the jokes. And the clear message from media is, men, we do not need you or want you to lead. Don't let that be the tone in your house. Don't let that be the message in your house. Um, Have you guys ever hung out with a couple and been, like, seriously uncomfortable when they do this? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where the wife is just, she's just tearing the husband down the whole time? I mean, there's some playful jabbing and stuff like that. That's great, you know? I think that's wonderful. But, you know, constantly critical of his opinions, correcting his stories. I hate that, you know? The guy's telling this story, and he's a pretty good storyteller, but he's probably embellishing it or whatever. Let him have his story. You know what I mean? She's like, no, it wasn't three, it was two. It's like, ah. Not only are you killing the story, but you're killing this man. Like, let him tell his story. You know, so many of the stories, that I, I check with Tosh because I have a story about cavities and stuff. And I always, like, add how many I had, you know. Um, and so, you know, we embellish. Let him tell his story. Talk to him later if you think it's that big a deal. Always exposing his faults, you know. Uh, shutting him down. You guys have seen this. You've seen wives do this. Proverbs 14.1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. Or mouth. You know, a husband that's treated like that becomes more and more disinterested and disengaged. And you know what he does? He puts his efforts into his hobbies or into work, somewhere where he's going to get more affirmation, right? Um, Somewhere he's appreciated. God is saying in this passage that if you want to cultivate your husband, he needs two things to grow, respect and responsibility. Husbands, when they really sense that their wife respects them and is looking for them to lead, they will usually rise to the occasion. And it's a process. It's cultivating, right? It's going to take some time. Uh, we don't always lead well. Um, Tosh reminded on social media somebody of this story this week, but like right after we were married, we went to Yosemite, and it was amazing. I'd never been to Yosemite. Funny thing is, kind of backing up, is that, you know, usually the, um, the groom's parents pay for the honeymoon, and, uh, and they did that in this case, and I didn't really know how much we could ask for, you know? So I was like, okay, how about Yosemite? It was a nice place. Felt a little guilty. And then my brother gets married a couple years later, and he goes to Paris. <laughs> Not the one in California. He went to the one in France. And I was like, what? You know? It was fine. But, um, but so we're in Yosemite, and we're driving along. And it's amazing. I've never been there before. You guys have probably been there. But you can, like, basically, it's great for lazy people because you can see everything just driving through. You're like, oh, there's Half Dome, and there's this. And we're super excited. We're all fired up. We're just married. It's like, this is exciting. And then we see a bear, and I was, I've always been into photography. I'm like, let's get a picture of the bear, you know? This was before selfies, so we weren't going to get that close. But So I was like, let's get a picture of the bear. So we pull over, and we go to take a picture of the bear, but the bear leaves. And so I'm like, let's chase the bear. So we start, my wife and I, we're excited. We're going to do it. You know, I wasn't forcing her, but I was leading her. And so we're following the bear into the woods, and then you know what happens? Bear turns around. And then I'm realizing, like, we're in the forest with the bear, you know? And then I had this thing flow through my mind, because I knew that I was called to be your leader, and I'm just like, God gave me this wife to lead. And, you know, I'm like, not even a week into the job, and, and I fed her to a bear, you know? Like, this is horrible, you know? So we don't always lead well. And you can think of examples in the Bible. I mean, Abraham, you know, there's a reason why in 1 Peter he goes, you know, consider Sarah and how rugged she was following Abraham, you know? There was some bad things happening there. 
You know, um, some, you guys, you guys know this, some pickup trucks actually don't ever ride smoothly until there's a substantial weight in the bed. You guys realize this? Guys have trucks, especially the real heavy-duty ones. Until there's some weight there, they're just like kind of all over the place. Men are that way too. Have them sense the weight of responsibility that you place on them. Be looking to them for their leadership, and they will hopefully drive more smoothly, not right into a bear. <laughs> Show them you're thankful for him. Show them that you're eager for him to lead, and that's what will transform him. What about husbands? Directions of husbands. Take a look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, wives are called to respect and submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives in three ways I see here. There's a sacrificial, uh, sanctifying, and sustaining. I know it's alliteration. It's important. Um, one of them's legitimate. Two of them are legitimate. The other one's kind of, you know. So we're going to look at first the husband loves their wife sacrificially. Verse 25 says that, that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. Guys, your leadership is not about you getting your way. Your leadership is about you sacrificing yourself so God gets his way in the family, right? That's what it's about. It's servant leadership. And, you know, the best, this is something that culture doesn't understand. You're either a leader and, you know, people below you, you just got to do whatever you say, or you're a servant and no one listens to you. But what we see in John 13 is that Jesus was a servant leader. Yeah, we won't go into it because in a month we're going to be there when we go back into John. But you remember him washing the disciples' feet in John 13? And you can imagine him washing Peter's feet. No one in that room would question who the leader was, right? Nobody would be like, well, maybe it's Peter now. He's getting his feet washed, you know? Like, nobody would have thought that, right? Everyone knows in that room that that's the leader. But then everyone knows in that, that the, greatest lead, the greatest servant in that room was Jesus. Isn't that cool? There is a way to serve and to lead. It's servant leadership. Um, husbands, we're called to love our wives with a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify her, Jesus might sanctify us, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This word sanctify means set apart. And Jesus' love for us sets us apart. He, he's, he's taking us through a process of making our lives more and more set apart to God. Well, husbands, we're called to love our wives in such a way that they are more and more set apart for God. I mean, just think about your leadership and think, is she being drawn closer and closer to Christ? Because Christ's love transforms us, right? We don't get loved by him and stay the same. Our love for our wives has a transforming effect as we lead them closer and closer to the Lord. Husbands, are you leading your wives closer to Christ? We, we talked about it yesterday at the men's breakfast. We were talking about different ways, you know, uh, that we can do that. Um, but are you leading her to church? You know, so often in our culture, it's the, it's the wives dragging the husbands to church. And we talked about yesterday that, like, if anybody's going to get dragged, okay, we would prefer that the husbands would be dragging their wives to church. You know, that they would be leading them in that way. Hopefully nobody needs to be dragged. Nobody's being dragged by their hair or anything like that. You guys went silent, a little worried. Okay. Um, do you lead your family in simple devotions, okay? You're not called to read through all the institutes of John Calvin in a year with her or something like that. Please do not make this painful for either of you. Quick reading, you know, a little bit of a psalm, a little bit of a devotional book, something like that at dinner. Do you pray for her? We were talking about yesterday the picture of Job in Job chapter 1 that he would get up and offer sacrifices to his whole, for, for his whole family. And, and we just think about us as the, as the priests, as the pastors of our home praying for them. Um, is your pattern of dedication for the word something that spurs her on to want to feast on God's word? So husbands are called to love their wives um, sacrificially uh, with a sanctifying love, and then thirdly, with a sustaining love. Look at verse 28. 
It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's this sustaining there. There's just love, loving her as a, a part of your own body. And, and you can see this sustaining love is a nourishing and cherishing, right? It, it, there's a physical aspect to nourishing and cherishing, right? You should feed her. You should put her, you know, have a house for her, a home for her, or something like that, you know? Like there's physical parts of it. But there's also like an emotional aspect to this too, isn't there? There's a relational aspect, cherishing her, you know, um, pursuing her. And I think about things like, you know, you should have a date night or a date day or something like that, that you're pursuing her. She doesn't plan that. You plan that. You think about what did you do to originally capture her? You did something, you know. You did something, you know, that was funny. You did something that was thoughtful. I don't know what you did, but you did something to capture her. Go back to that. Flowers, gifts, surprises, whatever it is. The other thing you need to do, though, too, is 1 Peter um, 3.7 says, live with your wife in an understanding way. We need to study our wives, too, because they change. You know, you're, if you've been married a few years, you're not married to the same woman you were married to a few years ago. She's changing. We need to pay attention to that. We need to study her. We need to take notes, you know. Um, one uh, helpful technology thing is you should stalk her Pinterest. You guys know about this? Like, so they broadcast their hearts on boards, and you could totally look at it. Like, talk about secret information. I mean, especially if your wife's not super talkative, you could be like, I know what you're into. Cats, succulents, <laughs> you know, like, things like that, you know? But study her, stalk her Pinterest, you know? You can see by the quotes she goes after her. You can see some, maybe a vacation she wants or the kind of food she wants. I mean, this is amazing information. Like, you should have to pay for this. Okay, so... Figure out how to love her best. Um, in all this, there's a real temptation, though. And the temptation is this. Temptation is for us to say, well, that's all nice, but my spouse doesn't do it. You know? You can think to yourself, like, well, I'll start loving her like that when she starts respecting and submitting to me. Or you might think, well, I'll start respecting and submitting to my husband when he starts loving me like Jesus. Right? What we're doing in both cases is we're basically saying that I'll love my spouse when they deserve it. Aren't we doing that? It's kind of a standoff, right? Um, but that's the way the world loves, guys. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners love those who love them. Um, uh, last year, Ellie, our seven-year-old daughter, she was, she was um, last year she was in kindergarten, and she came home, and she had this, came home with this concept of, like, filling a bucket. And so she was telling me, like, I said, what did you learn about today? And she goes, oh, I learned about, you know, filling buckets. And I was like, oh, what's that about? She goes, well, you know, when you do something nice for someone, it's like filling their bucket. You know, you fill their bucket. And so, but she turned it around to where it was all about her bucket getting filled. So she was like, oh, daddy, that filled my bucket. And I'm like, that's nice. And she goes, you know what else would fill my bucket? And I'm just like, I don't think that they meant it that way, that it's all, I think you were supposed to think of other people's buckets. But guys, isn't that the way we often are in marriage? You know, marriage is, you know, we get all reciprocal. You're like, Hey, you fill my bucket, I'll pour some back into your bucket. You know, it will all be happy. But who goes first? You know, and what if your marriage has been out of water for a long time? You know, who's going to go first? That's a question in conflict, right? You're in conflict with your spouse and you're like, well, she better apologize first. You know, I'll just wait. You know, 
Like, how long are you going to wait? And you go to bed angry, and you're sleeping at two different edges of the bed, you know, like all about, almost about to fall off of your side, and there's this, like, vast Sahara in between, right? <laughs> Who's going to go first? You know, I did it last time. You ever feel like that? I did it last time. I think I did it last 15 times. It's her turn, you know, that kind of a thing. Guys, let me give you an image that you can think of, and it's not mine. But imagine when you're doing that. Imagine that in the middle of your bed, Satan's just kicking it like this right now. He's like, ah. He's like, oh, this is great, you know. He's laying right in between, okay. Um, Who's going to go first? Who's going to be the first one to make a move? Who's going to love first? Who's going to take that first step? You know what it says? The gospel says that God took the first step. He took the first step. When we, were sinning, when we had sinned against God, he made the first move. Romans 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Guys, at the cross, God made the first move. He went first. And as you see Jesus pouring out his life on the cross, God is pouring out his love into our hearts. God has filled your bucket, right? God's filled my bucket. I can go first. You can go first. You don't have to wait for it to be filled. God did that. Guys, we're called to love our spouse, not based on how worthy they are at the moment, but on how worthy God is, how worthy Christ is all the time, right? We're called to love our spouse, not based on how worthy they are at the moment, but on how worthy Christ is all the time. Look at verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, right? It's based on his worthiness. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, as he loves you. You are called to love your spouse, not based on their worthiness in the moment, but on how worthy Christ is all the time. And um, I want to show you guys real quick in the time we have left, just one way that, that God's loved us in a very unique and amazing way. And I want to kind of see if it'll fill your bucket. Look, verse 29. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And there's something interesting that happens here, because he's talking about marriage, and then he really starts talking about Jesus. He says, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of Jesus's body, right? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. What's interesting that Paul does here is he says that passage in Genesis about the one flesh thing, like that's about marriage. But what it's deeper about, what it is more fundamentally about, is not your one flesh union with your spouse, but your one flesh union with Christ. It goes super deep there. Our union with Christ is like a huge theme throughout this letter too, and you don't notice it until you go through, but every time it says in Christ or, or in him, it's talking about how we are in Christ spiritually, that we're connected to him, that we're united to him. And he says it's a mystery, but I want to give you three things we can know about this mystery, this union with Christ mystery that we have, and I want to see, you know, if your bucket fills full afterwards, okay? So first, your union with Christ is spiritual, Okay, it's a spiritual union. You're united with him spiritually. And that kind of makes sense because, you know, last Thursday was Ascension Day. So that's 40 days after Easter. That's when Jesus went up, you know, in his body, took his body with him. And so we're not united to him physically. We're united to him spiritually. But spiritual doesn't mean metaphor. We are literally, actually united to him in the spiritual realm. Like if you could see spiritual, you would see some sort of connection that we have with him. It's a real thing. It's just a spiritual thing. And it's real because it's the Holy Spirit that connects us. Christ considers you, if you're in him, a part of his body. 
And he'll never stop nourishing and cherishing you any more than he would never stop nourishing and cherishing his own body parts. And guys, this should put to rest anything of like, could you lose your salvation? Jesus doesn't lose his body parts, right? He doesn't. He doesn't lose you. You are one with him. You're secure in him. And your destination in heaven is secure because in one sense, you're actually already there. Mind blown, okay? So like you're connected to him. And so, yeah, right. You're a part of his body. So firstly, it's a spiritual union. Secondly, our union with Christ is a legal union. When you placed your faith in Christ as Savior, you became the tr- a true legal heir of everything Jesus had earned in his life, death, and resurrection. You're a legal heir. Just like in a marriage, husband and wife get married, and she becomes the uh, owner or is entitled to all the husband has. That's the way it is with Christ. Because you're united with him, you're entitled to everything that he earned. You get treated like him. It's legal. Because you're in Christ, united him, hidden in him, his righteousness is your righteousness. And I love that, that, that idea of hidden in him. Like, you know, God doesn't deal with us according to our sins because we're hidden in Christ. Philippians 3, 8, awesome passage. Paul says, Indeed, I've counted everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And listen to this, he says, but I count them to be rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And listen to this, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through Christ. And so when you come to faith in him, you are dealt with on the basis of his righteousness because you're in him. And because you're in Christ, you're united to him. His future kingdom that he's gonna bring when he makes this world new is yours. You're legally entitled to everything he has. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And this is important, guys, because marriage will cost you. You know, I think we don't talk about that enough. Marriage will cost you. There will be costs. There will be financial costs. There will be um, costs of your free time. There will be costs of your aggravation. There will be costs of all kinds. Costs you don't feel like paying. But I'll tell you what, guys, you will gladly pay those costs when you see how much it costs Jesus to be united to you. Like he was willing to take you on and unite himself to you knowing all the costs. Because not only is our righteousness trans- his righteousness transferred to us, when he became united with us, our sin got transferred to him. And so on the cross, we see him being nailed to wood to pay the payment, to pay the cost of his relationship with us. And so it's legal. And then lastly, our union with Christ is life-infusing. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're united to Jesus in such a way that's like, kind of like wires, like electricity could come down wires and, and give you energy. Or like um, in John 15, it talks about branches grafted into a vine where the life can flow out. You think about the, I'm this kind of dead branch and when I come to Christ and I'm grafted into him by faith, his life starts to flow through that dead branch and, and leaves start to come on and fruit starts to come on and that's the fruit of the spirit, right? It's his life flowing through me. Um, it, it's, a, it's an infused life like an umbilical cord. There's an older author that talked about, it's like an umbilical, perfect for Mother's Day, an umbilical cord analogy. So it's like that life coming from, from Christ through this umbilical cord to us and, and so that we start to do things we couldn't do before. You guys experienced that since you came to Christ? You find like all of a sudden I'm more patient or all of a sudden I'm able to deal with this better. All of a sudden I'm more loving and all these things. And it's not like I'm getting better. It's like I'm learning to have Christ live through me. Those are his fruit. That's his life coming through me. And even better, because this connection is through a person. It's through the Holy Spirit. This connection happens because 
Christ is united to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit lives in us, that's the connection between us and Christ. That's the power we have to live these things out, guys. So it's not this morning, it's not like I give you this teaching and say, okay, yeah, get out there and do it. You got this. You got it. You can do this. No, it's not about that. It's about learning how to do these commands by relying on the Holy Spirit. Christ's life lived through you. And, and that's what discipleship's about. It's about learning to do everything Christ has commanded by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about learning how to have his life flow through us. And it's a mystery. This is the mystery that empowers marriage. This oneness with Christ is what drives our oneness. When we find ourselves getting all wrapped up in Christ, we find ourselves more tightly wrapped up in each other. Let's pray. Father, we uh, come before you and we just thank you for this mystery. I thank you that some things are mysteries in your word. I think you left things mysteries. Lord, but we thank you too for what you've revealed of it. And I just pray as we leave here, Lord, that no one would leave here without solidly trusting in the death of your son for their righteousness and their forgiveness. And I pray that no one would leave here without a solid trust in your son to live through them. Lord, help us to lean into the fact that the the Holy Spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit is going to empower us. He's going to give us the life of your son in our very bodies. I pray, Lord, we would lean into this. Lord, I pray for our families, Lord. There's so many difficulties. We're all in transition. We're all in, we've got husbands that, you know, they want to lead, but they have all kinds of issues with it. I pray, Lord, you give them grace and give them hope. Pray for wives that are kind of looking to their husbands for leadership, but they're, they're not quite satisfied with what they see. Lord, I pray you give patience. Lord, I pray for the husbands that are here that they would lead like your son leads us, sacrificially and lovingly. Lord, you've created something so good here. Help us to live into it. Thank you for all these people. Thank you for the mothers here. I pray you bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church, Menifee. If you would like to know more about the Menifee campus, visit us online at cupgrace.org slash Menifee.